Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Andrew Kraus. I am one of the co-founders here at InventRight and you're going to be with me for a full hour doing question and answer. I see you guys already have some great questions coming in there. Um, if you guys have a question, type it in sooner rather than later because we can't always get to the, all of them. So if you type it in sooner, I'm more likely to get to it. Um, so let's just jump in. Um, just to set the stage, um, anything that we share during this live stream should not be considered legal advice. Please consult an attorney if you're looking for legal advice. Um, also, the basics of what licensing is, I like to cover that. I'll do a 30-second version of that and see if I can do it in 30 seconds. But basically, when you license your product to a company, you don't need to raise money, you don't need to hire employees, and you're tapping into distribution that's already there. So they have a lot. these big companies already have a lot of money to launch products. You don't need to, oh, I need to raise money to sell my idea. Nope, you're getting that with the licensee, the manufacturer that's already selling to the retailer. You don't need to hire employees because maybe they have 20, 50, 100, 2,000 employees. It depends on the company. And they're going to utilize those employees for your product as well as for all their other products. So they've kind of got this machine that's working. And then you plug your product in that machine and you go. And then they already have distribution in all these stores you know, they have those connections. You're not trying to create those from scratch. So those are the benefits of licensing. You get the money, the workforce and distribution all in one place. You don't need to raise funds. You don't need a business plan. You don't need a lot of the things that people think they need um, when they're starting a business because you're not starting a business. You're licensing your product and you're putting all that work off onto that big company. So let's go ahead and jump in here. My eyes are, I had like an eyelash stuck in my left eye and my eyes are a little bit messed up today. Um, but let's see, I should be able to read these fine. So if I'm squinting when I'm reading, you know why. Probably time for me to get some eyeglasses rather than these dollar store readers or whatever I use. Um, so Kevin said, hi, Andrew. Um, I've I've my I've my cell sheet ready. I have my cell sheet ready. That's what you meant to say. And my PPA file, as well as my hit list of 40 plus companies. I'm ready to reach out, but I've hit a mental block. Is this common? And if so, any advice? Yeah, I would say it's it's pretty common when you realize, oh, crap, I've got everything to go. There's nothing to stop me now. Now I can start reaching out to companies. I've got my sell sheet. So I've got my marketing piece. I'm going to send them. Did you say that you had that? Yeah, you have your sell sheet. You filed your PPA and you got 40 companies. That's fantastic. Um, and so I would say that's one big reason why our you know, our students, even when our students are with us, they hesitate a little bit there. They get a little, and the coach is like, no, nope, and they kind of push them off the edge right there and give them a polite kick in the butt, if you will. Um, you just have to experience it. And I think that you have to just be willing to get a lot of no's. But you realize there's, a, I noticed somebody else asked a question here and they started getting some feedback. A lot of times you get non-specific no's, not at this time, not a right match. Wear those like badges of honor because that shows you're actually reaching out and realize that you only need one company. So if I wanted to say things for somebody that's got a sell sheet, they got your PPA and they got their list of companies ready um, to start reaching out, utilizing LinkedIn, utilizing the phone, utilizing email, um, which is all the approaches that we teach our students to, to utilize. Um, something to encourage you is, you know, as long as your sell sheet's okay, and as long as you're not saying crazy things via email, which I'm assuming you're not, hopefully not, um, you're probably not going to burn a bridge or something like that. So like, what do you, what might you be worried about? Well, if you say crazy stuff, they might kind of put you on a blacklist and go, oh, that's that guy, right? But if you're not, if your marketing piece, your sell sheet is just abysmally terrible, you know, that's not good. Um, that might get you like in the amateur pile in the future um, if you're not communicating right. But I don't think you're going to do that stuff. Um, you've done enough work to get a sell sheet, a PPA, and your list of companies together. So that's fantastic. So I would start reaching out and realize you're, you're really not going to muck it up that bad if you have a decent sell sheet and you don't say crazy things via email. Just get used to it. Get used to getting no's. Like in, in be happy when you get those notes. Oh, wow, I communicated. They said, yes, I'll receive it. They saw it. And then they said, no, fantastic. That's the attitude, which is not the attitude that most inventors would have. You've already gone beyond what most inventors do. Most inventors just throw 
10 grand at a patent attorney and a bunch of money to get a prototype made. And, you know, so you've gone beyond what most inventors ever do. Now, you're still not there as far as what InventRight students do. They push out and they push out really hard and fast. And, and you know, but even our students, they with a coach, they will hesitate at that point sometimes, a percentage of students. Um, and they need to have a pep talk. So it's kind of hard to have a virtual pep talk um, with you without knowing what your your concerns or what you're what you're freaking out about. Um, maybe you just said it's a mental block. So you're just overthinking it, you know, just you want to ask permission to send your sell sheet, and then you want to send it. I have a product that's good match. I think it's a good match for your product line. And can I send it to you? And so whether you're doing LinkedIn or whether you're doing the phone, that's what you want to say and do and just be polite and ask for permission. And, um, you know, it's, it's a real big jump to going from just dreaming up ideas to actually showing them to companies. But the step you're about to take, that's when you're in the game. That's really, to be honest with you, when you can call yourself an inventor. What the, the second you call or LinkedIn message or email your first company, that's when you call yourself an inventor because that's when something happens. If you just play around with your products and you never show them to any companies, nothing could ever happen. You're just a person with ideas. But when you reached out, you could be an inventor there because the company could show some interest and then or say no. But a deal could happen once you reach out. That's the way to put it. And nothing can happen if it's just in your head and in your garage and you just talk to your friends and family about it. So, you know, good on you for being about to reach out and do that. And uh, you just you, you I don't think you'll muck it up all over the place. Um, but take a look at your sell sheet. Take a look at your list of companies. Make sure that's OK. And um, and start start reaching out. Um, uh, Peter said, will InventRight eventually make a book or a video on the step-by-step process of negotiating a licensing contract? Well, first of all, you're not negotiating a licensing contract. That it's, that's what you get in the end game. But a lot of people, they have this misperception that when a company shows interest, that they're going to be talking about the contract and that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you're talking about the product. They're maybe getting some quotes at their factory overseas, wherever. You're talking about different issues. You're talking about, you're trying to clarify maybe that you're looking to license if they're, maybe it's a marketing manager's never licensed anything, they're a little clueless, or maybe they've done a lot of licensing. You're trying to verify a lot of things. So there's quite a bit of back and forth before you get to a contract. And so even for us, we have a negotiation coach that specializes in that. So you have a licensing coach when you're an event right the whole time. But when you get an interest from a company who puts you on with Paul, because it is a dicey situation, um, and, you know, sometimes people hear us say things like, well, 5% is a common royalty. Like if you ever said in an initial talk with a company, they say, what are you looking for? And you're like, oh, 5%. That would be stupid. It'd be a stupid thing to do. But we tell students, don't say that. And a lot of times they'll go, well, you know, here's this last deal we did was 8%. And you're like, holy crap, I'm glad I didn't say 5 So um, I think we could just really mess people up if we did a book on um, – licensing uh, contracts, you know, um, we talk about it in some of our books, but um, to have what we believe is we we do experiential learning. We want our students to experience it firsthand. I don't believe that's something you can learn from a book. You need to learn it firsthand, get comfortable with it. We have students going, yeah, I can handle that next time. If they say something weird, I can always come back to you, but I got it. So, um, I don't think we have a, a one in the plans in the in the docket, if you will, to do a book specifically on that. It's a little too difficult. There's so many different scenarios. Um, probably not. Uh, Daniel said, "Hi Andrew, it's a multi-part one." Hi Andrew, thank you for the one simple idea book recommendation. Yeah, that's our book, one simple idea. Um, I would. That's the big one that I recommend for you guys. The yellow books called One Simple Idea. And if you type in one simple idea, Stephen Key into Amazon, you can find that. So I'm glad you like that, Daniel. Um, I bought a copy and I'm learning a lot, exclamation mark. That's great. Uh, Daniel said, my question, will getting an unpaid endorsement for my product by a professional within a category, a respected doctor for a medical device, for example, help my product become more attractive to a licensee? I was thinking of adding an endorsement or quota to do my sell sheet. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. 
it's a dental product, it's a dentist, it's a doctor, maybe they're recommending it. And you can even have people that um, like quotes. It could be for like friends and family or somebody that you showed it to, you know, privately, of course, if they signed an NDA. Um, if it's a company, you've got your provisional patent. But if you sign it, show it to like somebody that's not close friends and family, uh, I would have them sign an NDA. Maybe they provide an endorsement um, saying it's great. Make sure it's good, you know. Um, so an endorsement from a professional or even customers. Um, now, most of you are like, well, I'm not selling it, Andrew. And our students, most of our students are not. We have some people come on board with us having already ventured the product and sold it themselves and they have some testimonials. I wouldn't say that's a reason to publicly disclose your invention. We always tell our students not to ever publicly disclose their invention. But if you showed it to a few people and they gave you a good testimonial, um, that can be a great thing to put in a sell sheet. I love that. Um, let's see. Jeff said, today I, I got, oh, this one's cool. I got a no... This is a response to submitting a product, and this should be encouraging for you, um, Peter. Um, today I got a no, but feel free to send new ideas. You get, they got that from a company. That's great. So it's like Jeff made a relationship with this company by sending a product. And they said, no, but feel free to send more. So you're always making a relationship. Whenever you get a no, it's not a no, and you can. they won't always say that, but feel free to send us more. But you, you ask and they'll say, yeah, sure, because they looked at the first one. And then you also got a yes, we're interested conference call with the big dog schedule. Thanks, Andrew, Stephen, for all the great advice. So, Jeff, that's amazing. And you're going to get a mix of those more no's or not at this time and a few maybes or we're kind of interested. Don't mistake these maybes or we're kind of interested for a done deal by any means. Um, it's very common for our students to get interest. It doesn't mean it's a done deal. And But Jeff's doing the right thing. He's getting on the phone with them. So now you're not this nameless, you know, well, it's not nameless. You're this email. You're not a person until you talk to somebody, right? And I think we forget that with this, with the, the whole messed up social media world. Like, those aren't relationships, people. Like, if you haven't talked to somebody, it's not a relationship. It's some sort of weird social media thing. Now, with that said, I always say when you email somebody and they say, let me look at the sell sheet and they, and they take a look at it and they say, no, but we, you know, you can send us more that I would say that's a relationship of sorts, but when you're trying to move a deal forward, you know, a real relationship is talking to somebody and you won't move a deal forward until you talk to them. Jeff, you're doing exactly the right thing. What I've been saying on these live streams and to all our students as well is get on the phone and 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 talk to them when they show interest. That's fantastic because now you're a real person and it's more fluid and you get a feeling for who they are where you don't really get that via email. Um, inspirational. Uh, let's see. Lewis says, um, it's super hard to jump out the plane with the, with the parachute when you know you're dealing with a lot on your plate. However, if, I, if getting the PPA is one step, is step one, my next would be what? Okay, so getting a PPA is not step one by any means. That's a big misperception. Studying the marketplace, figuring out if your product is viable given the other products, and tweaking your marketing, making your list of companies, doing all that happens before a PPA. So they'll probably answer your question. So it's not the first step. You're wrong. Doing your research, making your sell sheet, making your list of companies. Those are the three things you're going to start with before you do your PPA. Because a lot of times when you take a look at all the product in the space and, you know, you start working on your marketing materials, a lot of times you realize, oh, I want to have this other version. This, I'm still going to pitch my version, but there's this other version I realized I could do. And you can just throw all those versions in your PPA. It still is only 75 bucks if you're a micro entity. It doesn't cost you a dime more to throw their variations in there, and you should. So that's why you don't want to do the PPA first. So I did answer your question there. Um, Lewis, great question. Um, Ethan said, this is a fun one. Hey, Andrew, what would you say is the youngest age to license a product where companies will actually take you seriously? Um, we had, I remember we, I remember this very vividly because it was all within a month. We had two students. One was a seven-year-old, 
along with her dad. Of course, her dad was working with her. And then we had another uh, girl who was 12 and she was working with her dad. And they both licensed their products um, within a month period. And I forget it was the seven-year-old or the 12-year-old, but it doesn't matter. The story is still true. And there were two different dads with two. So she was seven. I think that's the youngest we ever had. Now, the dad submitted it first. And it was to, um, it was to Claire's or something where they do like, like kids jewelry and stuff. And they didn't, they didn't show any interest. And somehow I forget exactly how it went, but it was resubmitted and it was mentioned like coming from the daughter who was seven and then they showed interest. So they weren't showing interest. He kind of resubmitted, went back later, kind of with an approach with like coming at it from her point of view. And they freaking loved that. They're like, oh my God, we love this. And which isn't normal, but we want to put her on the package too. So um, in that case, the dad was too old and they liked the fact that she was seven because they're like, that's our market. Like they were going for tweens or uh, or something like that. You know, tween is a little bit young, I guess. Seven's a little young to be a tween, but you get the idea. Um, so I don't think you're ever too young. And I always tell whenever I have like high school students um, reaching out, I say, utilize it, work it, because a lot of people receiving ideas when you say you're in high school, um, they'll they'll go, damn, what did I do in high school? I'm impressed. And so I think I would work that angle, you know, if you're if you're younger and it's a lot of now, maybe one marketing manager won't like it. So I don't know. It's a bit of a crapshoot. Is it going to help you or is it going to hurt you? Um, but I would say for the most part, what I've seen is it'll help you. They'll be kind of a little bit more responsive. When they do the deal, it'll be with your parents and they'll set up the contract right and everything. But I think you'll get a little more attention because they'll go, what was I doing when I was 12? You know, I mean, this is impressive. And they'll like give you some feedback and they tend to be really nice. Um, and you're going to mention something in there that you're working with your parents. So if they're thinking like, well, who would you do the contract with? You know, it'd be the parents. And you can even mention that specifically. And if you're interested, of course, that we do the contract with my parents. Um, but uh, so I don't think there's such a thing as too young. Um, now, I think if you're really young, like seven, you need an adult helping you. But if you're like 16, I've seen or 13 or 15 or whatever, I've seen um, people work on their projects and I'd say go for it. So Ethan, um, I don't know how if you're young or if you know somebody that's young, um, but either way, I would still uh, go for it. Um, Alexander. Hi, Lewis. PPA. Oh, good. He was and now people are helping out. PPA is not the first is not step one. I'll suggest you to read Stephen Key's book on Amazon, which is one simple idea. So thank you for, for saying that, Alexander Lewis. Yes, I would read one simple idea. Um, you, it's it's, I don't know, it's like 13, 15 bucks. It like fluctuates a little bit. It's not expensive. I think that would help you out a lot. Um, uh, Fabi, Fabi, sorry if I'm not pronouncing your name right. Hi, Andrew. Uh, I can't find the company to license my products in the health and beauty categories, but it might, but I might be mistaken. How do I find exactly what category is my product? Okay. So Fabi said, and, um, Okay, that was another another thing. Um, so, you know, you, you're going to find companies that are selling somewhat similar products and selling in major stores where you want to be. It's just that simple. Um, if a company is selling, don't limit yourself to companies selling almost the exact same thing. And then, but if a company is selling, like, let's say it's a kitchen gadget and they're selling other kitchen gadgets and they're in a, a Walmart and a Bed Bath & Beyond, well, you know, there's somebody you should reach out to them. So you don't want to identify um, companies that are currently in major retailers where you want to be and kind of somewhat in the same space. Like, oh, that wouldn't be too much of a stretch for them giving their product line. Look at their product line and then look at your product. And go, would it fit in? And if the answer is yes, then then go ahead and reach out to them. If they're in a major retailer, don't just look for manufacturers. You don't just look for manufacturers that can make this like on Thomas Register somewhere, you want to find manufacturers that are in retailers where you want to be. Um, Fabi also wrote, China and Vietnam are the cheapest to manufacture this product, but all closed. USA is too expensive to make or, or a small order. 
should I hire a broker to do this? No, Fabi, you're like way off, dude. You're like way, way off. So China's closed. I have no idea what you mean by that. You're not licensing to Chinese companies. You're licensing usually to American, European, Canadian companies, sometimes companies from other countries. And there might be getting it made in China, but you're licensing it to an American company that has distribution. And let's say if it's a kitchen gadget, Walmart and Bed Bath Beyond. Okay. So there's no excuse. There's no China is closed thing. I don't know. You know, US Ag, understand if you're trying to make it yourself, if you're doing small batch orders, it's too expensive. But here's you arrived here, maybe you're new. We're talking about licensing. You don't need to get it made yourself. You don't need to get it made in China. So I think this question is good because you're new. If you look for a broker, you're going to find you'll be a world of hurt. You're just going to find all these invention promotion scam companies that say, we'll sell your idea. Just give us 12,000, 12, 10 or $12,000. Who You don't even know who they reached out to. And then a year later, they're like, oh, there was no interest. And they, they took your money. So uh, make sure to check out the Federal Trade Commission site. There's a good website, inventorfraud.com. You can visit with some jumping off points that will help you from getting taken by invention promotion companies. These aren't the companies you license to. These are companies claiming to help inventors. Say so they'll do it all for you. You don't have to do anything. you know. And then also you need to get out of your headset. that You have to make this and sell it yourself. When you license it, that big company is going to make it. And they're going to use their workforce and their distribution. And you just need to do the licensing deal. They'll take it from there. So that's what we teach with licensing. But, you know, for you too, I think, you know, getting that book, One Simple Idea, our book, One Simple Idea, would be very helpful. Um, other, Alexander also helped with Ethan. The company will care more about, I love it, Alexander, thank you for helping. The company will care more about you being professional and bringing a great idea than your age. If you're 18, you're okay. You can use your parent as well. So, yeah, I mean, in the United States, you need to be 18 to be contractually bound, I believe. Don't quote me on that. But I think if your parents sign it and do it a certain way, you should be fine. So I would I would say, you know, if I were to do a deal with you, I'd we'd utilize my parents. You know, the deal would be with my parents or something if you're under 18, because they might be thinking, oh, they they could sign a contract, but they won't have to be obligated to me to in, to keep it because they're under 18. Because I, I, but again, I don't know if that's still true today. But I don't think you can enforce a con. But we've had students do these deals, and they did just fine um, when their their kids were working with them. And you can work on it on your own, and then just involve your parents at the end, tail end, you know. So that's fine. Uh, Marian Mariana uh, said, "Hi, Andrew. In your opinion, should most licenses have minimum guarantees?" Um, it's, it's got to have a minimum guarantee or an alternative. Sometimes it's normal to get beat up about minimum guarantees. Our negotiation coach, Paul, and the student hold to their guns and almost always they agree to it. There are some variations you can do in place of that. You need something. If they're not selling it, you can take it back. Never do a deal. I talk to inventors and our invent rights students and they do these deals. And some of them, I've seen the contract. I'm like, why the hell did you sign this? Like they're not obligated to do anything. They just hang on to this forever. We don't let our students do those deals. They've got to be doing something with it. And yes, the minimums are a very small part of what they believe they can sell, but they're not going to want to continue to pay you royalties on something that's not selling. So you have to have a minimum guarantee or, or an alternative. So if they're not doing what they said they would do, you can take it back and you literally just email them and say, look, you're in violation of this and this. Now, that's not what you're doing initially. You're having nice conversations with them. Look, guys, notice you haven't launched it yet. Or I notice it's only got it here and here. And you have nice talks with them, many talks before you would pull this with a company. But eventually, you're, you're going to drop them an email and say, you know, you're not in compliance with the terms of the licensing agreement. And therefore, I'm, rec I'm, I'm rescinding it. And usually, you know, in licensing agreements, there'll be a sell-off phase where they have six months to sell off. It's perfectly reasonable. But that is a last resort, guys. It's very much a last resort. But you have to have those terms in there so you can just pull out of it if you want to, such as minimum guarantees. That means they have to sell a minimum amount every quarter. And if they don't, they still have to pay you this amount. They don't want to do that. Who wants? What company wants to pay an inventor for something they're not selling? So, um, so absolutely you should have that or, or an alternative. You should always have that Ethan and you only do an alternative. We've, we've gotten some situations. We'll do some alternative and they're like, 
we just get them to think a little different. They're like, well, okay, we can do that. And we save the deal. So you don't want to like go, oh, screw you. You don't want minimums. I can't do that. Like you, you figure out a way of working with them. And to the earlier question, that that's a, when you get into that sort of thing, that's a subtle nuance. You need to know how to handle that. And attorneys will be too aggressive and they'll kill deals for you. And Paul, our negotiation coach, is very adept at looking at the particular scenario and approaching it in a friendly way, but still holding your ground um, at times. It depends on what it is, though. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, Thoughtful Jones said, Hi, Andrew. If you were working with one company on a preliminary negotiation for a licensing deal, would you show them a new idea if you haven't filed a PPA on the new product? Okay. Um, well, if you're working with one company on a preliminary negotiation for a licensing deal, I would focus on doing that deal. If they like what it is, why show them a variation? You know, so would you show them a new idea if you haven't filed a PPA on the new product? Okay, you didn't say it was a variation. You just said it's a new product. No, yeah, we get that question from our students. They get real excited. They're making a good connection with a person at a particular company. Don't start showing them more products um, into, you know, move the deal forward with this particular product. Now there are exceptions. I remember this one guy, but they were asking. So I remember this one guy, he's from Canada. He was from a, a French part of Canada, but he lived on in the Yukon, which is on the West Coast of Canada. And I know it's a funny little detail, but he had a company that really liked his some, his camping product. And this is not typical at all, but they're like, what else you got? What else you got? What else you got? He kept sending stuff and they licensed an entire line. But I, I that's they were asking him. I would not start showing them more products. I would focus on doing this deal. It's a distraction and kind of unprofessional. If you, well, what about this? What about this? But if it feels right, and they're asking you, great, but I would focus on getting this deal done with the company that's showing interest and not show them a new product um, and a whole nother product. Not at this time. I wouldn't do that. Um, now, when they say no to it, you know, then you might show it to them or wait a little bit and then show it to them, you know, um, but I would move the deal forward. There's, of course, a lot of subtle nuances there. That's why it's like writing a book about negotiations. It's like you would need to write all these scenarios and then if this and that. And then people assume they're doing it right. And and most people that I've talked to that done licensing negotiations that weren't guided by us, they did. Um, uh, most of them did a really poor job and that's why they didn't get a deal. Um, so it's a, it's a tough one. That's why we have a negotiation coach for our students who want to hold to basically tell them what to say via email, tell them what to say before every phone call, and they aren't to say anything before talking to us because we don't want them to muck it up. Um, that's how we handle it, which is very powerful. And because they're the mouthpiece replying the email or talking on the phone, they took it in, they felt it, they experienced it, and they get more confidence in doing more deals on their own. Um, so that's the way we handle it for our, our students. Um, Uh, yeah, John John said, we get these questions all the time, but he, you're asked getting more specific. Um, like every session I'm getting this now. But I've uh, John said, I've heard Stephen mention using an LLC for licensing agreements. Yes, that's what we recommend. Um, is there something wrong with a sole proprietorship? Yeah, because an LLC is a separate entity. And when you have, when you do your licensing deal under an LLC, it's a separate entity. Um kind of like a corporation, but it's an LLC. You need to look up the differences. And it's going to provide you additional liability protection that a sole proprietorship won't. So most of our students haven't filed an LLC before they start reaching out to companies. But our negotiation coach, Paul, will tell them, you cannot do this deal under your own name or a sole proprietorship. Do it under an LLC. So um, it's just an additional form of protection. So uh, yeah, definitely do it under an LLC. That's something we tell our students, insist on, and uh, I, I'm going to give you that same advice. Um, uh, no, so uh, Vito said, are there 
we we help our students with all sorts of products by the way guys we're not shy as long as it's not something that is illegal um we're very open-minded so Vito wrote are there added hurdles to getting a concept out to the adult toy industry no it's all the same and we've had uh students work on products in that in that area it's I think it's a good area um there's a lot of companies in that area right now uh, it's a very popular category um and you know it's it's uh you just got to have a good sell sheet as always have a good list of companies um you know and I'll always look up the companies that are already kind of like big in that space and selling products in that space and there's really no difference um there you're going to file a PPA like you always would um if any of you are thinking like oh they're not going to be as ethical i haven't found that to be true at all i've found them to be just as good as as uh any other companies i've had any issues with adult toy um companies so um doesn't mean you couldn't or any company have an issue or what have you but i don't see any you know, i don't see any uh, are there any added hurdles absolutely not nope none that i know of um jar jarkesha jarkesha uh hi andrew how long does it take to complete the invent right training does invent right help with finding companies to license your product um, the coach will guide you to make your list, but they're not going to make the list for you. They're going to empower you with the skills and the techniques, get in the specifics. And yeah, I'm giving you some generalities on making a list. But when a coach talks to you and they're like, oh, for your product, you could go with companies that are selling like this and this type of product. And I wouldn't call, I wouldn't count out over here, but oh no, I wouldn't bother. I don't think that type of company makes sense. They're going to do all that but they're not going to make go, here's your list. You know, like, well, I've been working really hard. Here's your list. It's like, we're your mentor, your coach, your teacher. So they're going to guide you to make the list and they're going to check it to make sure you did it right. And then they're going to guide you a little bit more. So that's the way we would do it. But absolutely, you will leave us with firsthand experience knowing how to make your list. And knowing to know how to do something is to do it. And that's what we do with our students. So uh, let's see. Ethan wrote, Alexander, uh, he's replying to Alexander, I've watched probably hundreds of hours of InventRight videos, and I feel like I know what to do, and I've done prior art searches and stuff, but I don't know um, if companies will work with me. Well, that's, you. Mo oh, some of them are going to say no to your product, but that doesn't mean, Ethan, that they're not working with you. It just means they're saying no to that particular product. So I can tell you that companies will work with you, um, we've had students in over 65 countries. We've been doing this about 21 years now. We get students licensing stuff all the time. So I can confirm they will work with you. I, you know, if you watch hundreds of hours of our videos, the doubt is in your mind because you haven't done it. You're like, well, I heard Andrew and Steven, everybody's saying I can do it. I see all these success stories, but I'm not going to fully believe it until I do it. The only advice I would say I have for you is don't start and then make all these assumptions. Like, Let's say you get a no from the first 10 companies, no to the product, or you're having problems getting to some of them for even them to say, yes, send me your sell sheet. Realize all that is normal. And every InventRight student that licensed the product went through that as well, as well as ones that haven't licensed the product yet. So it's just part of the process. So you're worried if they're going to be open and you, know, you don't really want to hear a bunch of no's. And that's normal. So all I can say, Ethan, is what you're thinking is totally normal. But you're like right on the cliff there. You're ready to jump with the parachute, and which is all the advice we've given you. Um, no, you don't have a one-on-one -on -one coach and you've just been watching our YouTube videos. But um, I think you'll do fine. And just don't be too sensitive about any feedback or a lack thereof. Realize it's all pretty normal. And you need to push out many, many times before a lot of them respond to you. Some will never respond to you. You're going to try different techniques. Um, so just go for it, man. Um, I like that Alexander is like encouraging Ethan here. Hey, Alexander, thanks for your advice. I may try to license something soon. Good. Well, Ethan, take take the leap, man, um, if you filed your PPA. Um, inspirational. So thank you, Andrew. Um, Debbie said, can I pitch my idea for licensing if I have the sell sheet and drawing slash rendering of the product, 
but not an actual prototype made yet. Absolutely. Most of our students do that, Debbie. That's not a problem at all. I think some people have this perception that like they're going to like get angry with you. Like, oh, this isn't a real product. Like, but when you explain to them, well, you just do it like this and this, and it's like that other product over there. They're like, oh, because what you're selling is the benefit of your product, not a patent and not a prototype. So you're showing them how they're going to sell it and showing them the benefit. That's perfectly okay. I don't get companies getting mad at our students for sending sell sheets with virtual prototypes ever. You know, and if they did, they're whacked. That's an anomaly. If it does ever happen to you, realize they're, they're, let's like they were intrigued by the product. Like this isn't happen. This is a scenario I think people think happens. Like they were intrigued by the product and they're like, oh, can you send me a prototype? And the inventor's thinking like, well, I have a prototype. Like, like, and, and you think they're going to say, well, why are you wasting my time? Not going to happen, people. I'm not saying there might be some anomaly where it might happen. It doesn't happen to our students. Perfectly okay. So I'm glad that I could verify, Debbie, that it's okay to send a cell sheet with a virtual prototype. The vast majority of our students do just that. I would say 70% of our students and our students are closing deals all the time. So do not worry about that. That's a great question, Debbie, for everybody else to hear that answer to. Um, uh, Holly said, hey, Andrew, is it okay to initially reach out to companies through trade association websites, manufacturing lists to see if they accept new product submissions or would that be a no-no? Um, trade association, I think it's perfectly fine to reach out there, but make sure to verify they're in store. So when you go to their website, and it says some websites will say you can find our products in all these stores. And you're like, holy crap, they look great. And then other ones, like it won't say that. But you just like copy the name of a few of their products and you paste them into Google. And you're like, ooh, that one showed up on Walgreens. And that one showed up in Rite Aid. And that one's on Walmart. And that one's at Home Depot. And you're like, oh, there's somebody. That's all I need to know. But don't reach out to a trade association or something and just find a manufacturer because they may be a contract manufacturer. Contract manufacturers just make stuff for other brands or companies, but they don't sell it. You need a company that can make it and sells it. And most companies, to be honest with you, um, they're getting it made either maybe in a plant in the US, but a lot of stuff in Asia. And it's not their captive plant, but they're the brand. They got this brand and they're selling this cutting, these kitchen cutting boards or whatever it is and they're getting it made somewhere else. And that's the company you license to. So just make sure you're not reaching out to contract manufacturers. Take a look at their website, see where they're selling. And if you're like, oh, that's a good match, then reach out to them. But um, so, yeah, you can go through trade associations and stuff, but just make sure they're a true potential licensee. They have products in the stores where you want to be. That's your litmus test. OK. Um, Let's see. Let's see. David said, hi, Andrew, in your experience, why do some write in all the way and some waver back and forth on pulling the trigger? Okay. So you're basically saying, I'm just reading it like you wrote it. I think what he's saying is, why do some people jump in and just attack it and reach out to companies and some waver back and forth on pulling the trigger? It's, it's, a, it's a big step. To go from being a dreamer, which is you coming up with ideas, to actually putting your creations out in the world is a big step for people. And I think nervous people are nervous about it. I think um, common concerns or people rip me off or they, why would they listen to me? I'm just a little guy. Um, and, and I don't find either of these to be true. Um, you know, I, I've never had one of our students in 21 years that... I have been aware of, as I've been made aware of, that approached a potential licensee that then later knocked them off. They, when you conduct yourself professionally and you have you send nice emails, you have nice marketing materials, that small percentage that might knock you off might go, oh, this guy knows what he's doing or this gal knows what she's doing. You know, So that small like 4% of companies that might consider knock you off don't want to mess with you just because you're conducting yourself professionally. That is protection over and above any provisional patent or patent, in my opinion, conducting yourself professionally. But that same, let's say it's a not cool company, and they're like, this, this guy's a joker. Like, we love his product, but man, he's saying crazy stuff. Like, he's asking for a quarter million up front. This guy has no freaking idea what he's doing. He's nuts. Let's just go ahead and do it. So, um, you know, that might happen, but it's less likely to happen if you're professional. 
So I've talked to non-invent right students where they say that happened to them, but I've never had an invent right student ever happen to them. So, um, you know, I think one of the reasons why people hesitate, David, to answer your question is they're worried about getting ripped off. And then also sometimes people, they, they worry about their own competency. But my uh, my approach to it is, and the event rights approach to it is, if you have a good marketing piece, that's going to do the selling for you. So as long as you don't say something stupid and you're just asking permission to send that marketing piece, you're good. So spend good time on that marketing piece. So um, I, I think it's just a big leap for folks, David. I understand that. Um, it's just a big leap. For most people, I think they're just afraid. They're not confident. And then for some people, they just want to make another, for some, they just want to make another excuse not to do the work. You know, it's it's just work and it's unfamiliar. It's uncomfortable. They don't want to be uncomfortable. You will be uncomfortable when you try to license for your first time. Guaranteed. If you're not a little bit, something's wrong. You know, it's okay to be a little uncomfortable. So I think Maybe, David, they don't want to accept that discomfort. And if you accept the discomfort and you realize that all these companies aren't there to knock you off and you kind of go, no, my sell sheet's good and this list of companies is good. If you can say that to yourself and you file the PPA, you guys should feel confident to move forward. And so I'm telling you, if you feel like your sell sheet, your presentation is good and you're like, no, these companies are right. I'm saying go for it, you know, and you filed your provisional patent application. Um, uh, Walid said, hi, Andrew, I want to manufacture my product in China. How can I protect it? The manufacturer or other manufacturer my, may imitate my product or my imitate my product you wrote. Um, well, Walid, we're not about you manufacturing your product in China. We're about you licensing your product to a company that has distribution in the stores where you want to be. So they have the money, the workforce and the distribution. And yeah, they might get it made in China, but they're a big company. And that manufacturer in China, hopefully, especially if it's a manufacturer that that company's already, they're getting work. So there's this brand that sells it, Bed Bath & Beyond, let's say, okay. And they're getting orders to manufacture their different products. Do they want to screw over? that U.S. company that's making these, let's say, kitchen gadgets and selling them at Bed Bath & Beyond. No, they don't want to screw them over and steal an idea from them. So, you know, the fact that you license to a big company is a form of protection as well because they have relationships and they're going to show it to the their Chinese manufacturers that they have relationships with that they trust, you know. And so I think that's the reason why I haven't seen it happen to one of our students. It will happen one day, but it hasn't happened in 21 years. But if you guys want 100% assurance that nothing bad will ever happen, you know, you shouldn't be in business at all. That's like, the I'm going to give an example and you'll realize how silly it is. So if you opened up a sandwich shop and you're like, I can't open up a sandwich shop unless I have 100% assurance that nobody will open up a sandwich shop within five miles of me. That's a pretty ridiculous expectation, isn't it? Somebody else will open up a sandwich shop. You will have competition. So um, it's equally ridiculous to kind of like go, well, I'm, I've got to have a guarantee that nobody will do anything like what I'm doing ever, you know, and, and, and if you don't try to license your product, somebody else will, somebody else will come up with the same idea at some point in time. It might be months or years from now or 10 years from now, but if it's a really good idea, somebody will come up with it eventually and they will license it and they didn't rip you off because they never knew you had an idea. but they're going to show it to a company and the company's going to make it and sell it and they're going to license it, you know? And so if you don't show your product to anybody, you're going to end up ripping yourself off out of your own fear. And that is most inventors. And that's also why people gravitate towards throwing tons of money at patent attorneys. And they love that. They love taking your money because um, that's what they do. And it's not really their fault. You fell into the assumption that the first thing you should do is spend 10K on a patent you know, and you didn't need to, you can do a provisional and go shopping for a year and see if they're interested legally, say patent pending. So, but these are common, um, hangups and misperceptions people have. Um, let's see. So Waleed, I can't, uh, I can't, uh, guide you. If you're trying to manufacture the product yourself, the question is, Waleed, do you have the money to do that? Do you have hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is what most people will need to start your own business. 
and sell and make the product yourself. Also, it's a horrendous time right now to be trying to start your own company and make it and sell it yourself. The comp all companies are having problems getting products shipped from China right now and supply chain issues. So for you to start a business and try to get it made in China now, it's like the worst idea ever. Um, but if you license it to somebody, those manufacturers, they already have relationships with their manufacturers, contract manufacturers in China, so they can make it happen. But they're, a lot of these companies, they're just man, Chinese um, contract manufacturers aren't even taking on new clients right now because they can't even make what they have because they have grid shutdowns and all sorts of stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my take on that. Um, uh, Rave. Rave Ravage um, Hernandez, uh, thanks for everything, Andrew. You should have Mr. Key in one of these live Q and A's. Yeah, we're we're doing them on Thursdays now. In um, so, but Stephen's in Egypt right now. He just did a speaking gig in Egypt, so he won't be doing with me for a while. I have Paul, our negotiation coach, actually on this Thursday live on our LinkedIn stream on Thursday. That's at it's 11 o'clock Pacific. So you have to convert that to your time zone. Um, so, and to all watching, licensing is the best way. I had a, a bitter, terrible experience with an invention promotion company. Yeah, we, we talk to people just about every day that had terrible experiences with these invention promotion companies. These aren't the companies you license. These are the companies say, oh, we'll do it all for you. You don't need to do anything. We'll do it all for you. And they ask for 10 or 12 grand. And then they pretend to work on it and God knows if they're doing anything. Um, Scuba Steve. Let's see. Uh, hi, Andrew. How can I find out the manufacturer of a product if all I can find on the packaging of similar products to mine is the distributor? Thanks for everything you guys do for all of us below. I would call the distributor and see if you can figure out who the manufacturer is. I would Google the name of that product and see if it shows up somewhere else. Um, it might be kind of a smaller company if they're using a distributor instead of distributing directly. But I would ask the distributor if they can connect you um, with the company. You think they have a uh, you have a product that would be a good match for their, their product line um, and see what you can do there. Uh, JBM said, hi, Andrew, what if I cannot file an LLC for licensing due to collecting social security? Is there truly much risk using just your name? Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. That's up to you. You're going to have to figure out if that's true and figure out if you need to do the name under a spouse or whatever. I, I can't speak to your situation there. Um, it, but the part you're saying is there truly a lot of risk just using your name? No, I've never had a a company sue an inventor of ours that has licensed a product for ladder products for knives, dangerous stuff because they don't even know the inventor exists. But what if somebody wanted to sue you? You know, doing the LLC would be protection. So no, we've never had a problem with it ever in 21 years, but could it be, do I want our students to reduce their liability by filing an LLC when they do a deal? Yes. So I can't advise you not to do that. I don't know about your social security situation. You need to figure out what's appropriate there. I wouldn't want to comment on that, but, um, so, but I would work on your projects. You know, I just, I encourage everybody to work on their projects, you know, and, um, maybe that's just another reason not to for you, you know, um, and I wouldn't use that as a reason. Um, Sam said, question, can InventRight negotiation coach be hired by ex-students for unusual negotiation situations that may arise? Yeah, we're always, we're always there to back up our past graduates and students. Um, our students can come back for a, another six months at any time, eight, eight years later, eight months later, uh, or continuous, and we're always there, and they get a huge discount on our program. Um, so yeah, you can always come back, absolutely. Um, Evan said, I have many ideas to license after obvious stuff, market viability, novel idea, etc. How should I choose which products to start with? Is it wise to try to do more than one at a time? 
I think at the beginning, Evan, and what we do with our students, when we coach our students, we say, we encourage our students to work on multiple projects, but out of the gate, you're only allowed to work on one. Now, when you got those initial call LinkedIn messages in and you're not done, you're just starting to reach out and you kind of got that in play. You've been through the whole process and you're starting to reach out. Then we tell them, our students, you could start working on a second one because then you've experienced the whole process except for negotiations and you've already started outreach on number one. But what you want to do then is every Monday, for example, this is a random example, you would you would reach out for project number one. It doesn't take you more than a you spent a couple hours on Monday to reach out and follow up with the ones that haven't gone back to you, reach out some new ones. And then the rest of the week, you can work on project number two, but the Monday rolls around, you're reaching back out again. So as long as you're not neglecting your, your earlier project, your older project, it's great to work on, but do not come out of it with like two or three out of the gate, experience the whole process and go, now I know the process, now I'll work on two or three. And that's what we do with our students. And that's what I advise you to do on your own as well if you're not an EventRight student. Um, let's see. Uh, Concrete wrote, hello, I have multiple products. Which should I present first? The one that I think is best, my number one choice to start a relationship question mark. And, you know, Evan was kind of asking that too, which projects should I choose? So those are kind of of the same. Um, I would work on projects that are easy for a company to say yes to. So ones that don't have any major manufacturer manufacturing issues, no major tooling. You can just look at it and go, oh, there's other products out there and mine's just changing it like this. So it's not going to be like, oh, this is completely new. It's not going to be oh, we need to invest half a million dollars in some mold or something. You know, something that is fairly straightforward and simple, um, something that there's a market for, something that is mass market, obviously. I mean, if you license something and it's so niche that they're only going to sell a thousand units a year, you know, you shouldn't be working on that. If you want to, fine, but you're not going to be very happy with the royalties. The whole benefit of licensing is you can tap into these huge companies and for them to do you know, 20,000, 50,000, 100, 200,000, half a million, two million units, it depends on the type of product, is normal. But for you to do that is kind of crazy thinking, unless you want to start a business and spend years of your life and mortgage your house and home to do it. Um, <clears throat> so working on projects that aren't super niche, working on products that don't look like they would have any major manufacturing issues, where the company's going to look at it and go, um, oh, yeah, I, I think we can make that, you know. Um, those would be some nice projects. You get a lot of ideas and you're open to working on anybody. That could be some criteria that you can use um, without looking at the specific product, though. I can't say when our students come on board and they got a bunch, they'll talk to the coach about it and they'll, they'll talk through all the projects. And sometimes the coach will say, well, I don't have enough information to help you with the decision on number three. Here's what I need you to find. They'll come back with all the info and the coach and the student will work together and the student learns like, OK, that's the problem with that product. And that's the problem with that one. And that's fixable. But God, this one over here, that's just good to go right now. And you start to get um, your bearings on what's good. So without looking at a list of five or eight or something, um, I can't say for sure. So I'm giving you just general criteria. But we we help we guide our students and we empower them to pick their projects, which is very powerful. And the only way we can do that is look at actual projects. So I can't, you know, completely answer your question. Um, okay. Um, this, this is like, so K-Bar, you're kind of like, I don't want you to repeat what you're writing to me. It's okay you wrote it to me, but don't repeat this to companies. And so for the rest of you, realize it sounds a little off. Um, K-Bar wrote, I have... I have a first to market item that will be copied by everyone in all capitals. Once this is out, I know that every in all capitals company will copy a version of this and it will be included in every package advice question mark. So nobody will include anything and not everyone will want anything. So the way you're saying everyone and every, every, and like, it's okay if you say that to me, cause good learning experience, but never, ever say that to a company. It just that we've had so many marketing managers and CEOs and people that we've had on for our Bridging the Gap talks with our students. They come on live and they're like, oh, my God, just instantly, I don't want to even talk to an inventor that says that. 
So that don't don't do that. Um, so what is my advice? My advice is to get a provisional patent, cover every possible variation, show it to a bunch of companies, and your protection is licensing it to a big company that's first to market. You set it yourself that can go big and first to market, and that's your best form of protection. And yes, some products, other companies will knock them off. And maybe your company, if they're making enough money, they'll send like a cease and desist, which doesn't cost them much, and they'll scare some off, maybe, but not others. But congratulations, you're successful then. But this thought that you can get a patent and nobody else will come up with anything even close to it is delusional. But having this big company, you know, go to bat for you, if they're making enough money, they can always send a cease and desist. They're like, and that'll scare a lot of them off. And um, but they they got to be making money. They're not going to run around suing people. So get a big company on your side, license to a big company, but do not say that um, it'll be copied by everyone and everyone and and it will be included with every package. Don't say that to the company. They're going to go, this person's unrealistic because they might think that, yeah, don't, don't, don't say that. So um, I see too much of that, not from our students, but from the public. Um, Pat said, I sell a product that uh, I manufacture, provisional file last year, non-provisional in process. Um, selling close to 1 million per year. Wow. Um, we have found 3D models of the product on some sites, haven't been able to get them taken down. Any advice? Well, that's really weird. Uh, what do you mean you saw 3D models on some sites? So that means some, somebody's planning on knocking you off? I'm not really clear on that. So congratulations, you're successful. You know, I mean, I've had new InventRight students that that's the reason why they signed up to get our help because they've been really successful. And they're some of them, you didn't say this, but they're drowning. They're like, I can't handle all the volume. And when you license to a big company, they can handle more volume. They can, and they can scare off some of the knockoffs and stuff, you know, sometimes. So um, are you, you saying, what's my advice in getting them taken down? Whenever I see individual inventors trying to go after um, companies that they think that are knocking them off or are knocking them off, I, I've found they they're not very successful because um, they look at you and go, "Who are you?" You know. Now, if you sold a million units and you've got great distribution, they can see that they might actually be afraid of you. But um, you know, you got to be extremely careful when you accuse a company of stealing your idea or violating your patent rights, do not ever do that without having an attorney look at the letter first, because that can start a legal snowball that can really get you into trouble making accusations. Um, maybe they don't believe they're knocking off your product and it's just a variation that they're doing. So running around, I've talked to, and we've had speakers on actually that have launched their own products and they're, they started just running around trying to threaten everybody and it like went nowhere. You know, so I'm not saying don't protect your intellectual property, but I don't have enough information to go on. It's amazing you're selling 1 million units a year. That's a lot. I don't know if you could type in what the price point of that product is, um, you know, but licensing it, if you choose to do so, would be a great form of protection there because maybe they can push it out. Um, you said per year. You're doing pretty good on your own. I don't know. Like, you know, you might not want to license it. Uh, Skygrave, hi, I'm here. Uh, complete newbie. First, uh, first question is, how should I go about catching up with what I need to be aware of in terms of what has already occurred, like some stats? I don't know what that means. Go about. Okay. I don't know what that question means. Uh, if you could clarify, Skygrave. Uh, Suarez uh, said, Andrew, uh, great show. What is the best question anyone ever asked you about licensing? What is the best question? I mean, to be honest, some of the best questions are the most clueless questions because, especially on here, because it allows me to answer the question that a lot of other people were thinking either consciously or subconsciously. So some of the best questions are the really clueless ones. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the best question is. I think there's a lot of good ones. Um, 
Let's, thank you. Uh, we are DNA from from Andrew to you, Andrew. Okay, it's Andrew saying, thank you for your time and knowledge. It's greatly appreciated. Um, and uh, Waleed said, what, what is exactly a LLC and what is the benefit of it? Look it up. It limits your liability. So look up what is an LLC and its benefits. Google it, guys. There's a ton of info about that. It's like we're all about licensing, learning about LLCs. You can Google that. My God, it's all over the place. Um, okay, Gregor said, hi, Andrew. Any advice on creating a new concept product utilizing prior patent products in combination, non-obvious versus obvious? So, you know, if if you're... It, it's quite the question is, are you patenting on top? Are you violating their patent? Are you patenting on top of what they're doing? In which case, that's going to be difficult. You're going to need to get their permission to then license it. So you tell this company, they show all sorts of interest. And you're like, well, I can't license this to you because um, they've got a patent on part of it. You know, so the question is, can you do it, which usually our students can, where it's not violating the other patents, you know? And so some, most of the time when our students are worried about that, I look at that and then I analyze what are the benefits of that other product. Then I look at what the benefit of the students trying to offer. And I go, well, you, they're just, I say, what are they protecting? And what are you protecting? And then they're like, oh, they're only protecting this. And I'm like, well, why don't you just go around it like this? Like, so most of the time when I see people that are like concerned about other patents and they're going to patent on top of it, I go, well, you can get right around that like this. You're not going to be violating the terms of their patents. So you need to read the claims and see what you're violating and see if you can get around it. So you're not violating the terms. You're not doing anything wrong if you're not violating their patents. So don't assume because it said patent pending on a product that's similar that whatever they protected... When you see a patent, they didn't patent that product. I like saying this to shock people. They patented, they made a claim on a piece of it. So when people say patenting, oh, I saw that's patented. Well, I can't do that. Bullshit. You got to read through the claim on their patent. And they're like, oh, they're just patenting that chain link that, like I had this person with this baseball product. I won't go into details, but it was just like the way it hooked onto a chain link fence. That's literally all they patented. And I said to the inventor, I said, well, is that going to affect you? And they're like, no, mine has nothing to do with that. And I'm like, problem solved. Like, why are you thinking this patent's an issue? You know, so that's my my response to that. Hopefully that's helpful. Take a look at their patent, read through. And if it is violating it, you're kind of making a mess of things because now you're going to get interest from a company and you're going to need to get them to agree like now that they can license this other version over there. So if you're patenting on top of it, it requires those other patents. But it probably doesn't. Most of the time when I look into it, it doesn't. And the inventor just doesn't know what I just said. And they don't understand that. So, But if it does, I think you might need to move on to your next product. Um, oh, uh, let's see. What was it? Did I skip over one here? Uh, Sam said, question, what is the typical size of the average product website? YouTube link, YouTube link only, question mark. I don't know what that means, Sam. The average size of a product website. I don't understand what your question is. Um, then uh, Good Girls Guide said, hello, do you cover licensing of training programs slash courses? Um, yes, you could license a training program slash course. I mean, your intellectual property there is a copyright. So you're copywriting the course and the program itself. Maybe you're trademarking the name. Um, and so you could license that, but you need to figure out if that makes sense for, are there other potential licensees? Are there a bunch of companies you can reach out to? You got to figure out who would be selling this course, right? But, and then license it to those, you know, players that would be selling course. And if you are in keeping with what we teach in InventRight, you, if somebody's selling kitchen gadgets, you're going to license it to them. Somebody coming selling kitchen gadgets. They're selling automotive 
aftermarket products, you're going to license it to them. So if a company is selling programs and training courses, but licensing is not set up to go, you should start this new business. That's not what licensing is. Licensing is tapping into distribution that's already there. So if they're already selling training courses, then they might be a potential licensee. But yes, you can do that. You just got to figure out if that makes sense for you. Um, Diego said, I'm also considering doing my own sales sheet, but I have no prior experience. With, what's your advice? I don't, Diego, recommend that you do that. It's going to look terrible. If you're not a professional graphic designer and you also don't understand how to do the marketing, um, it's going to look terrible. I mean, with our students, we the coach works with the inventor to make sure the marketing's spot on. They have in-depth conversations about the product and the marketing and other companies, similar products and how it should be different. What's the points of difference? And then our design studio does beautiful graphic design work and 3D renderings of it. So um, if you do it yourself, it's probably going to look pretty terrible. Um, and way, way back in the day, we've been around 21 years. Um, we used to advise students because it was graphic design was really expensive back then to do their own sell sheets. Steve and I now believe that was a mistake. Now, that was way back in the day when a graphic designer might cost you a thousand, two thousand dollars or something. Um, but it's not that expensive anymore. So there's really no reason not to uh, uh, not to spend the money to have a professional presentation these days. It's our sell sheet and virtual prototypes included with our program. Um, so if you decided to do that, it would be included. Oh, okay. Well, this is this is uh, this isn't true. Um, Alethea said, I'm too far out to need your course, but I need guidance. Any thoughts? Well, that doesn't make sense. Our whole course is guidance. So sometimes people have this misperception. When we coach and mentor our students, we jump to wherever you all are, Alethea. Sorry if I'm not pronouncing the name right. But if sometimes people go, oh, I've done that. I've done that. I'm like, great. We'll just help you with higher level stuff. You know, and some people are like, well, can I get a discount because I did a sell sheet and a PPA? I'm like, no, you can't get a discount because we're just going to be helping with higher level stuff. You're getting actually more value. So um, you said you need our guidance, but you're too far out to do the course. Well, if you haven't done a licensing deal, there might be a reason because you're not doing things right. You're already selling with the distributor. Well, the reason why you do our course is because you want to license it. So you're going to move off from that distributor and you're going to license it to a big company that can do better than what you're doing now, if that's the case. So you're not too far out to get our guidance to help you close a licensing deal. Um, but you have to be willing to want to do that if you want to continue to sell it on your own. But you're probably not happy with your distributor. Most distributors, they mm, you got to be it's kind of sucky. Sometimes they lock you up in a contract. They're not selling much. And then you can't move to somebody else for a year or something like that. Um, Uh, Lynn said, I had my sell sheet, video, and patent. I signed up anyway, and they're all they are all they're all better in shape now. So that was there you go. Lynn says she signed up. Um, thank you, Lynn, for saying that to Alethea. Alethea, sorry if I didn't get that right. But anyway, we're gonna call it a day. We're 10 minutes past. Um, I want to remind you guys to take care, keep inventing. Please help me out. I spent a whole hour giving you guys free advice. So click the subscribe button, click the notification button, that little bell, like all our videos. That's how you can help me. We're spending a whole hour to help you guys out for free. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'll remind everybody to take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. See you guys. Bye.